You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. This is Mining Stock Education, and I am your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in again. We're going to be getting an update in today's episode with one of our sponsors, Silver One Resources. The website is silverone.com, and if you're not familiar with the company, it it is a multi-project, multi-country focused silver developer and explorer. It does have projects in Mexico that are 100% owned. However, that's not the focus at this time. The company is focusing on projects in Nevada and in Arizona, two top-tier jurisdictions within the United States. Uh, The company gives you as the investor exposure to rising silver prices as there are there is historic resources at the company's Candelaria mine project. But then there's a lot of exploration upside at the Candelaria mine project in Nevada. And if you're not familiar with that project, I'm going to put a link to a site tour video that I did a 30 minute site tour video in the show notes so you can visually see this project that we're going to talk about today. And then the company also has two very perspective exploration earlier stage projects, the Cherokee project in Nevada and the Phoenix Silver project in Arizona. The company's ticker symbol in the Venture Exchange in Toronto is SVE. In Frankfurt, you can find it under the ticker BRK1. And in New York on the OTC, SLVRF. So without any further ado, I'd like to bring Greg Crow, president and CEO of the company onto the show. Greg, thank you for joining me again. And could you give us an update on what's going on at the Candelaria project there in Nevada? Sure, Bill. Uh, always pleasure to talk with you. I guess the last time we spoke was at the big uh, PDAC convention in Toronto in early March. And the world has changed significantly since that time which has been uh, interesting with respect to uh, precious metal prices. And we're seeing uh, silver back up over $18 today and gold approaching its all-time high. And um, we anticipate that uh, that situation is going to uh, carry on for the uh, foreseeable future. But that's uh, beside the point. What's happened with Silver One? Um, You were there on a site tour at Candelaria, which is our flagship project, uh, past producing silver mine in the state of Nevada, historically one of the highest grade silver mines uh, uh, in, the, in the state. Um, it went into open pit operation in the 70s, 80s, and 90s and shut down in the late 90s with the collapse in silver prices and got sold off from Kinross to Silver Standard, whom we did a deal with in 2016. Been looking at the project in the last uh, couple of years, and we've been trying to assess how best to rehabilitate the historic Candelaria mine project. And there's several components to the project, which makes it extremely interesting. Um, And some of those components include looking at the old heap leach pads that have a historic resource in excess of 48 million ounces of silver. We've been doing some metallurgical studies with the idea of can we bring those back into production? Those studies are ongoing and as silver prices improve, um, I think uh, we're gonna be able to move forward on that uh, uh, and we'll just uh, see how those silver markets are going to behave. 
But more recently, what we did was we looked at the in situ hard rock mineralization, where there was historically over 44 million ounces of silver measured and indicated, and an additional 31 million ounces at the inferred, historically. So we went in and we started doing some drilling, and we drilled um, a program starting last November, and we finished up actually in March, April of this year. And we put out some of the results. I think the key points are that we did confirm down dip high grade mineralization. Uh, Silver Standard, when they had done their drilling, um, they didn't really focus on that, but they had intersected many values greater than 300 grams per ton silver. Now for your audience, 300 grams per ton silver could be mineable uh, from an underground perspective. And don't forget that Candelaria was mined all by open pit in the latter years of its operation. So we went after some of that to see could we outline a high grade zone that would be amenable to underground mining and really augment the uh, story at Candelaria. Uh, we did confirm multiple high grade hits. For instance, we had uh, uh, values of uh, 1100 grams per ton uh, over a couple of meter, over eight meters within about a 30 meter interval, um, greater than 350 grams per ton silver. So we've outlined an interesting zone. It's gonna require some more drilling to really put an updated resource on that underground high grade zone. What we also did was confirmed um, extensions of the open pit lower grade mineralization, which would be more accessible by open pit mining and expansions of the previous open pits. So all that's ongoing, and we need to do some more drilling to update that 43101 historic resource. And uh, that's part of the focus going forward on Candelaria, but not to diminish the uh, aspect of the potential mineralization, silver mineralization around the old pits and down dip high grade. There's another component to Candelaria that was not previously considered. And off to the west of the open pits, there's all sorts of historic workings and to the east as well, but particularly to the west and around those historic workings, we're getting some samples coming off the old dumps from some of the deeper shafts. And we're finding interesting copper mineralization as, where, as well as silver and gold. And it looks like there could be what's called an IOCG component to the deeper sources of mineralization that's iron oxide, silver, gold. These are potentially big tonnage deposits. The samples that we took off the dumps assayed up to 2.5% copper, about uh, 45 grams per ton silver, and about 0.06 gram, or 0.6 grams per ton gold. So it could be very interesting. Nearby, we have another situation to the north of us called Nevada Copper's uh, Pumpkin Hollow Project that went into production on these types of deposits uh, late last year. So lots of upside potential at Candelaria, lots of exploration uh, potential going forward. Uh, we're continuing with our metallurgical studies and uh, later this year, uh, we're gonna be back doing some more exploration. We might get a drill in there again later this year or early next year. We'll just see how COVID situation uh, 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 materializes going forward. Greg, when I was on the tour with the fellow analyst, um, 
they were impressed with the size of the project and all the different possibilities. You mentioned copper, the known silver, the heaps, old workings. I mean, there were the several open pits that you can see, one of them just humongous, the Diablo pit. And, um, you know, you could spend $50 million on exploration over 18 months here, no problem. When you're looking at this project, what, what do you use to determine where you're going to spend the money next? Well, essentially, one thing that's important are, you know, silver prices, silver markets, etc. cetera. Um, we would like to consider as an early stage opportunity, bringing the old leach pads back into production. Um, that uh, essentially, as I said, uh, just under 50 million ounces of silver still sits on those leach pads at very compelling grades, about 45 grams per ton on average, no mining costs associated with that. Um, we'd like to see $20 silver before we're going to make a decision on that. And we need to do a bit more metallurgical work to uh, enhance the uh, potential recoveries of silver from those heaps. That's what we're working on. If we could do that as an early stage, then that would really set the tone for uh, increasing the, uh, or potentially increasing the amount of mineralization, just marginal to the pits, which would be easy access from the open pits. And then of course that down dip really uh, deep high grade. The other target, which is the deeper copper, silver, gold target, very compelling. Uh, that's a little bit longer in the development schedule, but we'd like to do some test holes on it uh, uh, in the not too distant future to see uh, is there really potential there. And with the heaps, that would be the closest near-term cash flow possibility for the company. Yeah, and that's dependent upon a healthy silver prices, shall we say. You've also put out press releases at your Cherokee project in Nevada. Can you talk us through this? Sure. Cherokee was an opportunity that uh, came out of a little bit of research. Uh, we found a reference in one of the old mining journals to a project which had uh, historically produced in the thousands of grams per ton of silver. That's back in the late 1800s. So we went ahead and had a look at it and we identified the right setting. It's called an epithermal setting uh, that hosts a lot of the precious metal gold and silver mines, not only in Nevada, but around the world. So we went and we looked at it and we traced some pretty powerful vein systems up to three, four meters wide on surface uh, for over 12 kilometers along strike. The ground was open, we staked the entire project, bought the patented claim, so we now have 100% ownership. Then we started some pretty detailed sampling around the old Cherokee mine itself. We have multiple surface samples, have to emphasize there's been no drilling on the property except in the very, very southeast corner where back in the 1980s they drilled for a deeper buried uh, porphyry molybdenum target. Um, so none of these rich veins have had any drilling whatsoever. In the Cherokee area, we did lots of surface sampling. We've gotten values up to 950 grams per ton silver, 4.8% copper. In the southern part where uh, multiple veins come together, we're seeing something called the hidden treasure area, getting some surface uh, select samples in the range of 1,800 grams per ton silver and two grams per ton gold, which is extremely interesting. We went in last year, uh, we flew the property and uh, did an airborne magnetometer survey. Uh, from that, we outlined a potential 
buried intrusive, which could be the source of all the mineralization in the very southeast corner of the project near where they drilled for porphyry molybdenum deposits. And um, outward from that are all these veins and alteration systems. We went in and we did some more mapping and sampling uh, late last year into early this year. And uh, we discovered two new zones, um, the Viola and the Garden Mountain area, marginal to this buried intrusive surface sampling are returning very elevated uh, gold silver and copper values and molybdenum in the um, in the viola area where they did the drilling so we want to go back this year later this year do some more surface sampling to look at uh, potentially upgrading those targets to the drill stage but also thinking about and uh, we'll make an announcement on this uh, in uh, coming months uh, actually drilling some of those really high grade veins at the old Cherokee mine so that's what we're doing at Cherokee. And at this project if I remember correctly you can actually drill in the winter if you want is that correct? This one here there's probably a couple of months we couldn't drill uh, it's a little bit higher elevation than Candelaria. Candelaria unless it is an extremely um, anomalous year with uh, tons of snow like we had about three or four years ago. You can work Candelaria all year round. Cherokee, um, probably a couple of months we can't get in there only because the snows at the higher elevations. You also have the Phoenix Silver Project, which we focused on the majority of our last conversation. Just absolutely stunning results. One specimen was over 400 pounds sample of up to 70% native silver that's using a specific gravity method. So we got to put that out there. It's not NI43-101 compliant because it's a, a collector's item. So they're not assaying it for that reason. But finding a fragment like this lets you know that there has to be a source somewhere on the property. So what are the developments? You're searching for the source of where this big silver chunk came from. Uh, what can you tell us here? Yeah, essentially this project was brought to us uh, and we entered into an agreement last January or this recent past January, just prior to COVID, with the ability to earn up to 100%. Some prospectors brought the project to us. They found these uh, fragments, which are extremely angular, and that uh, is interesting in itself, that not only are they large, but they're angular, suggesting they're probably not too far removed from their source. Uh, we staked some additional ground. We entered into that agreement, but we did ask assay some of the smaller fragments, Bill, and one fragment that we actually assayed, which is 43101 compliant, would be uh, returned 459,000 grams per ton. That's 14,600 ounces per ton silver, which certainly verifies that uh, uh, specific gravity measurement on the 417-pound unassayed sample. So what we've done is we've gone in, the ground is pretty well totally covered by overburden. A couple of cuts in a roadway. The prospectors had gone up an old stream bed, which was totally covered, and um, found these fragments with metal detectors. So our in interpretation is they're from east-west trending veins uphill from where they found these vein fragments. And why we're saying that is we see the east-west trend in the road cuts, but we also know that just 
off the eastern margin of our property, historic mines produced native silver in the late 1800s, early 1900s from east-west trending veins. So based on that, we've got a couple of guys ensconced in the town of Globe, which is a big copper producing center, and we're in the silver producing camp just to the north of it. Um, they essentially are socially isolating in the town of Globe. They live in an apartment. They drive out to the property in the morning. They do some sampling, sampling mapping. They put in a nice grid of the area uh, of interest around these vein fragments. We've done some detailed soil sampling. We've done uh, ground geophysics. And the next step will be to get in there and do an airborne survey similar to what we've done at Cherokee and at Candelaria. With that information, we should be able to say, okay, we're gonna target a couple of more areas for more intensive work, be it trenching, be it drilling, but our goal is to find the source of these fragments. We haven't done the airborne survey yet. Uh, we're waiting for the air spaces to open up but it looks as though we're gonna be able to do a drone survey. And if we can do that, we'll get in there a bit earlier. So that information is uh, yet to come out. Uh, we're gonna start compiling all the information and get some news out to our investors in the not too distant future. Would it be fair to say you possibly could have the drills turning by the end of the year, or would that be maybe a little bit too ambitious? Um, if we find a target, I don't think that's ambitious at all, if we find a target. And uh, that's what we're working and trying to achieve. In Nevada, I know that mining was labeled critical infrastructure. Is it the same in Arizona? I don't know if it was labeled critical. I mean, uh, however, with the... Uh, um, you know, with what's happened with COVID, etc., it could become critical. Uh, um, we'll just see. Nevada, of course, is the number one mining jurisdiction in the world. Um, it does, you know, uh, compete with uh, other areas around the world, like uh, Western Australia and Quebec. But overall, it's one of the top mining jurisdictions in the world. Arizona is certainly up there in the top 10, but they think that mining is much more important in, uh, in uh, Nevada. So let's just see how things go. Besides the safety precaution, precautions that you kind of referenced already that you're doing in Arizona, could the results of the COVID crisis impact the company any further in the second half of this year? Well, if there was a complete recurrence of COVID, shall we say, um, and uh, Nevada and Arizona start shutting down again, that could impact our ability to get in and do larger programs. Um, but, uh, you know, we're optimistic. Uh, hopefully we're going to turn the corner on this, uh, this virus and uh, move forward. We're certainly in the right environment for gold and silver. We see economies taking on unprecedented amounts of debt, uh, which could result uh, down the road in massive inflationary pressures, which is always good for silver and gold. So with all the interest in precious metals and people kind of seeing the writing on the wall that everything seems to be pointing that the precious metals are going higher. You have so much prospectivity at these three projects. Have you been getting any calls from some majors or mid-tiers about a possible joint venture? Uh, we've had some interesting inquiries and we've had some site visits uh, and uh, we'll just take it one step at a time. And any update on the projects in Mexico? Anything happening there? No, we put those back on hold. I mean, uh, we have a company with a certain budget 
and uh, we have to prioritize our spending and we're concentrating more on uh, Nevada and Arizona, which I think are fantastic uh, jurisdictions to work in. And one more thing, Greg, I just want listeners to get um, an understanding of your philosophy and how you run the company. One thing that you often do when you negotiate deals with partners, whether it's purchasing a, a project with the Candelaria project or this new Phoenix Silver project, you structure it so that you have minimal cash, if any, out of pocket and you use shares. Can you just share with investors listening to us, uh, what's your philosophy here? Yeah, essentially, I mean, um, cash is hard to come by and it was certainly hard to come by over the last uh, three or four years when very few junior resource companies were actually able to finance. So um, our original deal on Candelaria, which we did in uh, early 2017, was with Silver Standard and we structured the deal such that there would be four equal payments of US $1 million each in Silver One shares, no cash. That would give us 100%. They seemed quite content with that and they seemed uh, uh, quite happy with taking Silver One shares. Um, we did a similar deal, shall we say, on our Phoenix Silver project. Essentially, the only cash we paid was to reimburse their previous uh, staking and expiration costs, which amounted to about $350,000. Otherwise, it's a total share deal over four years, allows us a couple of years with uh, uh, issuance of few shares to um, uh, get in and uh, evaluate the project. If we like it, we move forward and they get a lot of shares. If we don't like it, we move on to a, uh, somewhere else. Cherokee was essentially a staking project. So we got 100% interest by, uh, with a minimal uh, cash out. The website again is silverone.com and the ticker in Toronto, SVE in New York, SLVRF, and in Frankfurt, BRK1. You've been listening to Greg Crow, the president and CEO of Silver One Resources. Greg, thanks for coming on today's show and giving us an update. Thanks, Bill. Anytime. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concommitment with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. 
I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.